Good morning. If you have a, a Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. We're going to spend some time just right at the end of uh, chapter 14 today in our series through the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 14, and in a moment I'll read from uh, verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, no doubt uh, the scripture will come up on the screen behind me so you can follow it there or look over someone's shoulder. So today we get to the end, or the, the conclusion of Paul and Barnabas' first kind of missionary journey, as it's sometimes called, around um, the Mediterranean. And we'll read that from verse 21. Here we go. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they'd now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So uh, this passage gives us an opportunity uh, to, to look back on all that's happened uh, for us in these past few uh, chapters, since the beginning of chapter 13, when from that church in Antioch, uh, Barnabas and Saul were sent off. They had hands laid on them for the work that the Holy Spirit had set them apart for, uh, to go and bring the gospel into more, uh, more of the world. Uh, and that's what they've been doing. Just to point out at this point, there's a slight confusion as we go through this passage, in that I'm going to refer to two different places that are both called Antioch. After a while, I'm going to just hope that you tune in to one that was in Syria, where this whole journey began, uh, and another one in Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, which is one of the locations they've visited. Um, so an opportunity to look back on what has happened thus far, and that gives an opportunity to acknowledge the amazing works that God has done in every place where they, where they, where they went. They have seen life-changing encounters for people with the Word of God. And if you, if you really want to understand who the hero of the book of Acts is, it is the Word of God. The Word of God being proclaimed, the Word of God spreading in different areas uh, as people who are appointed to eternal life believe and put their trust in wonderful good news uh, that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So as uh, Paul and Barnabas have been going from place to place, they have been proclaiming good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and they've been preaching that in the synagogue to those from a, a, a Jewish background, and they've been preaching it uh, throughout the area in the marketplace, seeing not just Jews but Gentiles come to faith because this Jesus who died and rose again is the saviour of the whole world. He's the, the one who can bring about incredible good news in our lives. And as we've gone through these chapters, we, 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 we see some of the content that was being proclaimed and having these life-changing impacts in people's lives. So, for example, you can turn to uh, chapter 13 and verse uh, 38. On this occasion, preaching in a synagogue. And, and as he kind of comes to a conclusion, uh, they say, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What's before, in a sense before now, what's, what's been impossible is to be justified by just um, works of law, trying to be better, trying to be good enough for God. That's, that has been cut through entirely by a message that proclaims that forgiveness of sins is available in Jesus. It means a, a brand new start is available in Jesus. Not just our efforts to turn over a new leaf and try again, but God's work in Christ to make us completely new creations. Elsewhere, the Bible will speak about being born again, that God has brought, to, brought us into new life, and that life is eternal, and that life involves forgiveness of sins. You'll see a number of times as we've gone through as well, just reference to the grace of God. If you think back to what happened in chapter 11 in the church in Antioch, Barnabas first turned up to that Antioch, the first one in Syria, and he, it says he, he just saw the, the evidence of God's grace amongst them. Here's people getting saved, here's people receiving Jesus as saviour, and you can kind of... Barnabas could see with his own eyes the impact, the change that's come about by the grace of God. Here are a people, a company of people who are no longer striving to be counted good enough. They've received this new life, this new standing, full forgiveness, relationship with God. They're, they're coming into something new. They've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you can kind of see that. You can see that in the way they interact you can see that with the, the joy that radiates from their lives. These are a people transformed by the grace of God. Get to chapter to 14 and verse 3. And it says there, now in another place in Iconium, says that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. You've got these apostles going to a new town, and they're, again, they're talking about the message of God's grace, this power to transform, this power to rescue people from dead religion, and the power to rescue people from lifeless rebellion. This message of undeserved kindness has come to them, and, and that gets confirmed by signs and wonders. In a, a little bit later on, or last, last week I think it was, 
we saw one of those signs and wonders, a man born lame who had never walked. He'd never stood on his own, his own two feet, as it were. Has faith. He's hearing something about how amazing the grace of God is. He's hearing something about the wonders of Jesus. And faith comes to him. Well, if, this, if God is this good, then I believe he can uh, heal me. And somehow Paul can see this faith and tells him, stand up on your own feet. It's kind of a, a gracious confirmation that Jesus Christ is really wonderfully good news. And of course we know that in every situation we don't, we don't get to see every illness and every sickness healed instantaneously. But there's something to believe for there. God really is powerfully at work. And there, if, if back in chapter 14 he could confirm the message of his grace by, the, by, us, by signs and wonders, that's something that we should uh, believe for and expect amongst us as well. God really is powerfully at work with amazing good news. And this is a God who does things that we simply do not deserve. See that there. I mean, there's another sign of wonder earlier in the passage where somebody opposing God is blinded for a few days. And in some sort of strange way, that too confirms the message of his grace. Um, but let's move on uh, for now. We've seen here then the, the amazing works of God. Uh, and perhaps in some ways that's, that's summed up. This is uh, as Paul and Barnabas arrive back to the church that sent them. In chapter 14, verse 27, it says, They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They're seeing there's a God powerfully at work. I wonder, even as we heard uh, John's encouragement a moment ago, all these different pebbles in, representing different things in life that have happened. Uh, you know, can you pick them out? Can you pick out the great things that God has done? It's just good to have that encouragement as he's worshipped, to remember there is a God who's powerfully at work. Obviously, we have to acknowledge as well, Not everything has gone brilliantly well. These last few chapters are not just the story of the, the kind of wonderful outworking of God's power in miracles and people getting saved. In addition to the amazing works of God, there has been a whole heap of trouble, which we could just chart through as well. God's been at work. But it ain't been easy. In, in Pisidian Antioch, in chapter 13 and verse, uh, verse 44, it says there that the whole church, uh, sorry, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on them. If you like, the first main note of 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 significant opposition in Pisidian Antioch. What happens in the next place? Well, even before they leave, in, chapter, uh, in verse 50, 
Or in verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, wonderful, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They were unceremoniously kicked out of town. God's doing something great, but there's a whole heap of trouble as well. They go to the next place, to Iconium. Uh, these signs and wonders are happening. People are responding. But in chapter 14 and verse 5, we find out there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled uh, to like Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country. So like, God's powerfully at work, but this trouble is following them. And then what happens in Lystra? That plot comes to fruition. In chapter 14, verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. God's powerfully at work. But there is a whole heap of trouble. And it's not easy. And you know that relatively early on in, in, in this kind of traveling ministry, these were really significant events. You could read uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, writing near the end of his life, this is what Paul would say to Timothy, his kind of son in the faith, when looking back. You can say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, You who, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Well, yes, indeed, God rescued him from them, but he was actually stoned. He was actually, they were actually being pursued from place to place. They're seeing God powerfully at work, but there's a cost and it hurts. So get to this passage that we're looking at today. And just consider for a moment, I think the three options, these are just brief points, you don't have to write this all down, option one. Um, the three options they had, they, they came, came to this decision point. He's been stoned, but he's all right, he's gone to the next place, he's seen some people saved. What, what do you think he could have done next? What do you think they could have done? Well, option one, since God is so powerfully at work, just keep going. Go to the next place. Progress at all costs. There's a big world out there. The whole world needs to hear the gospel. Paul, for, for goodness sake, and Barnabas, just keep going. Find a new place. That was an option. Another option was just to run for cover. And if you look on a map about of what their journey was like when they started in the first Antioch, they, they've basically done a loop. And they've got to a certain point where it really, in the grand scheme of things, it wouldn't have taken that long 
to get back home. They're, they're almost there. It would be a relatively short journey to get back and just kind of collapse in a heap and recover. They've been through so much, they could have just opted for, for comfort and recovery. Now, both of those options are good ideas at the right time, and they will go again. They will seek to uh, break into new ground, if you like, and go to new places and keep sharing the gospel and plant new churches and so on. They want to make progress. Actually, they will get back home, and they will take a time to get refreshed, recuperate, reconnect with friends and family. This church in Antioch that sent them in the first place, they are going to stay there, and I think they are going to get refreshed. But they opt for the third option. They go back the way they came and revisit every place. Every place where God's been powerfully at work and every place where they have been pursued and persecuted. And that's for this sake. Why would you do that? Well, we find out in verse 22. They, they then return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? They, they have seen new believers come to faith, this door of faith be opened to them, for them to become born again. And it's wonderful. And maybe the evangelist in them just wants to keep going and see the same results in place after place. But just like new babies, new believers need to be strengthened. Actually, we, we all need to be strengthened. I just think for a moment, new, new baby comes to this whole new realm of experience to start with just needs supporting like this. Are you supporting the head? Every, you know, but literally, like no strength at all. I mean, delighted to be alive and just after a while, we'll kind of smile, just wonderfully, just delighted. But need all sorts of strength. You, you have to do everything for the new baby, in a sense. That's what God is like, wanting to tend to those who are new to the faith. And then what happens is, as a baby grows and they get stronger, well, they start to be able to just hold their own weight. So when you go to pick up the 12-month-old or the 18-month-old, they can start to hold themselves. You're not kind of supporting them in precisely the same way. They still need a bit. And then comes the point where they, they actually, in, in stuttering manner perhaps, start to walk or just start to stand and then kind of take them by the hand and you can start to walk together and, and on from there. This picture of growing of growing and becoming stronger. And something of that is motivation for uh, Paul and Barnabas. They don't just want to see more people come to faith. They want to see more people come to faith and for those people to grow into that faith where they are learning to stand and they're learning uh, to walk. And they're they're growing in strength. Sometimes when we talk about strength, we can be thinking straight away, you know, oh, how much can you 
Now, I'm going to use a whole bunch of metaphors and illustrations. I have next to no personal knowledge or understanding of. I just want you to know that. You know, sometimes when we think of strength, we can think of kind of macho, how, you know, how much can you deadlift? Is that right? You know, just what sort of weight can you carry, even if it's just for three seconds before we drop it again? But thinking of strength is that kind of core strength. Anyone into Pilates? Is that kind of what you're doing? Again, I don't understand what's happening at all. But I think something of the value of Pilates will be about core strength, maybe flexibility as well. And it's that kind of sense of core strength that I think that's what Paul wants to see in churches and new believers. It, it probably crops up in, in every letter he writes. In, in Romans chapter 1, uh, I think verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He's interested in Disciples of Jesus growing stronger. We can see the same thing in uh, the letter to the Colossians and how he, uh, how he writes to them, how he says he's praying for them. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. He's concerned for strength. So one great question to ask of a church is, are we making new disciples? That, that's a great question. It's a great priority and desire, something to, to head towards and to be praying about and making deliberate plans for. Are we making new disciples? That matters. But another question is, are we making strong disciples? Are we making strong disciples who will stand the test of time? Strong disciples who will seek to make other disciples? Not necessarily being admired for macho strength, but that kind of core strength of knowing God and walking with him. And that is what motivates Paul and Barnabas to head back. So what do they do to strengthen disciples? Well, first off, they encourage them to remain true to the faith. Now, when you hear that, encourage them encourage what are the sorts of encouraging things do you think we might like to hear hmm, i'm almost thinking like shout out for the answer but we'll move on what do you think is encouraging you're doing great keep going well yeah of course but the the message they go with encouraging them to remain true to the faith and I hope that this morning we'll get to see just how encouraging this really is. The message they're going back through all these different places with is this. We must go through many hardships to, the, to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, can I, can I hear a whoop? 
Yes. Come on. Let's do it. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's like saying, be encouraged because there's trouble ahead. Be encouraged because it's not that easy to be a Christian. Be encouraged. Keep going. Now, I know, again, I'm going to talk about something I've got no knowledge of personally whatsoever. But I know there's a few people in the room, and I'm not going to embarrass you or soothe your ego by asking for a raising of hands, but I know there are people in the room who have run a marathon. And I think you're bonkers, but maybe secretly I'm quite impressed. People who have run a marathon. And I think there are a few people who did that recently by, by going down to, um, to uh, London and running a marathon there. And I was speaking to, to a friend who said, actually, one of the really intriguing things about that kind of event is just the sheer noise of people lining the route, kind of cheering you on. Keep going. And I, and I guess there's, there's, there's encouragement in that. Even if it's something quirky to have to manage at the same time, this is really, really noisy. You do it, but I wonder, like, how valuable is the encouragement? You're doing great. Maybe the most encouraging comment would be something like, by someone who really knows what they're talking about, picking a random number. It gets really hard around like the 17-mile mark. But is that right? Is that fair? <laughs> Getting a warm noddy. Do I hear a 21? It got really hard at 24 miles. Yeah, me too. Um, in my mind, I imagine that would be the point. I'd find it really difficult. Um, it's really hard. When you hit the 17-mile mark, you are every fiber in your being is going to be shouting at you, stop. This is madness. Just take a break and don't start again. Don't resume running. So when you, know, when you hit that point, remember what I'm telling you now and keep going because, I mean, I've been through it so many times myself, you're going to go through the pain barrier and maybe it does actually start to get a bit easier when it's the 24th mile, and then after a while you think, actually, yeah, that finish line is just around the corner. And perhaps, perhaps what sustains you is hundreds of people on the sidelines going, yay, you're amazing, but maybe what helps most of all is someone just saying, it's going to be really hard, but keep going. It's worth it. Get to the finish line. Now, you do that in a, in a marathon. You're doing it for a T-shirt, maybe a medal, and a little bit of personal kudos. Maybe you're doing it for a personal best or whatever. But it's, it's worth it. Stay the course. Don't drift. And do that by thinking about the finish line. You want to cross 
the finish line. It's not so much about beating other people. You might have been racing against the clock or what have you. It's about, I want to cross the line. I want to finish well. And even like, maybe the best thing is, well, just finish the race. But is like, I want to be able to really run. I want to have something in the tank to sprint across that line. And I'm going to get wrapped up in some tinfoil. I'm going to have a decent drink. And I'm going to get my medal. We're going to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And here, Paul, he's talking about the kingdom that is to come in the future. And often when we talk about the kingdom of God, we might be focusing on what we experience of it in the here and now. But at this point, Paul is saying to all these different believers in different towns, as it were, it's yet to happen. But one day, we're going to enter into the kingdom. And I want you, as brothers and sisters, I want you, as members of this kingdom, to keep running and persevere and focus on that. You will be able to persevere through trouble and trial and heartache. Now, Paul, and Paul had actual physical wounds on his body as a result of being a Christian. And not only that, he also had emotional wounds that he carried as well, no doubt. He could say of Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. I thought we were together. I thought we were running together. I thought we were pursuing God together. I thought we were seeking to build the church together. But Demas has fallen back in love with the world. So he's left me. There's pain involved in being a Christian. But that was Paul's motivation. Paul's motivation was, I'm going to enter the kingdom. You could look at 2 Timothy. Chapter 4. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's another way of putting it. One day we're going to get to enter the kingdom of God. And one day, we're going to see the appearing of Jesus, who's coming again. Christians can get off track because they forget why they're running. And they forget where the finish line is. And Christians can get off track when they forget the prize and the crown and the blessing to come. Why persevere through hardship? Why battle against temptation? Why seek to make new disciples when it just gets you into trouble? Unless you're persuaded it's totally worthwhile. That we are called to something wonderful. Paul can write elsewhere. You know, the glory to, let's just make sure I quote this right.
when he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Maybe when you're considering this morning, this image that, that John presented to us of like all these pebbles, all these events in life, and, and sometimes we, we yearn for that big massive boulder, that kind of moment of just awesome presence of God, and we can miss all the things that God has done in life. When you, when you look at all the different things, I hope that we can kind of pick out the moments of God just breaking in. Sometimes when discouragement looms, we forget all the amazing stuff that God has done all the way through. Some might be relatively superficial, but some might just be just good to remember. As I was just here and chatting to Rach, we could remember just the, the, the kind of t tiny tokens of God's kindness and just the massive things that Personally, I could so easily take for granted that God has done. As we look at it all as well, we can easily pick out the things that you wouldn't wish on anyone. And Paul could do the same. If we had a chat right now with, with Stuart and Ginny as they look back on 50 years of honouring God in marriage, you bet that they could say, here are loads of things that God has done for which we are truly grateful. Here are all the answered prayers. Here are all the gracious breakthroughs. Here's all the healing. Here's all the faithfulness of God. Here's everything that God has taught us and that we've learnt. I can guarantee it'd be a decent list. And I could guarantee you there's probably this other list of stuff that we would not have wished on anybody, but that nevertheless has demonstrated the, the faithfulness of God. It's interesting, isn't it? That Paul writes, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Things that are worthwhile will involve cost and sacrifice and pain. But if with our eyes fixed on entering the kingdom and heavenly reward, we will be enabled by the grace of God to persevere, to persevere through hard times, to persevere in the midst of a culture which misunderstands. And maybe for some of you, you have relatively recently decided to give your life to Jesus. Maybe relatively recently, the door of faith was opened for you. You went through that door and it's just amazing. You're just coming to sight. This is wonderful. This new life. This forgiveness. Closeness with God. And then obviously, there comes a point, a little while in, where you start to hit against some of the difficulties and the struggles. Maybe it means for you that no longer are you kind of totally united with even members of your own family. You coming to faith meant, meant they just got concerned and thought you've made some terrible mistake. And now you're living with that. 
And it's, there are challenges. It's not easy. Stuart and Ginny for us this morning are this encouragement, I suppose particularly for those who are married, persevere, keep going, trust God, and, and be a reminder to your church community and to a watching world of this greater faithful love that exists between Christ and his church and his bride. We are swimming against the tide. There are so many ways in which society stresses a very different message from the one that comes to us from the Bible. Some of that will be around society just wants to focus on now. Not thinking about the future. Maybe the future just seems too bleak. Just focus on the pleasures now. Just, just focus on, on the here and now. And yet we're called into this kingdom which has us focus on something that's not yet. And maybe in your own life, you know, there can be pressure that comes where your, your past comes calling to you. The way in which you used to live before you gave your life to Christ. Some of the decisions that you, you made. Some of the ways in which you lived and what your priorities were then. And sometimes in weaker moments, it's just looking to pull you back in. It didn't, a life without Christ never really leads to any kind of flourishing, but it can, that life can still seek to draw you back. And maybe today just serves as a reminder, the greater force and power at work in a believer's life is that your future is pulling you. Your future is drawing you. Drawing, drawing you into persevering, joy-filled, hope-filled, huge faith. Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. We're here for just a few short years. We've got eternity waiting ahead of us. You can read uh, 2 Peter uh, and see what he says there. Another of the apostles, and he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And sometimes when we think that we're understanding the grace of God, it's undeserved abundant, over-the-top kindness that rolls into our lives. Words like this can sound strange, but you'll find they actually they crop up in the Bible more often than you might imagine. Make every effort. Because of what's to come. Because awaiting us is the possibility of not just a welcome, but a, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Make every effort. 
He's just said a few verses earlier in verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind. They've forgotten where the finish line is. Forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. They can just get sucked back into all of it. Paul wants to encourage disciples to remain true to the faith. Not be thrown off by the fact that we will have to go through many hardships, but it's worth it to enter the kingdom of God and receive that rich welcome and hear your saviour say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You persevered, you honoured me, you threw off sin, you loved your brothers and sisters, you sought to make disciples, you kept going. And to encourage them to do that, something else that is important. It says in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. It could just read as like a random uh, extra, but it's, it's deeply connected. It's something else that Paul and Barnabas saw as essential. We must encourage them to, to stay true. We must encourage them to keep going. At that point, when they delivered that message, they didn't just think, well, while we're here, I wonder what else we could do to fill time. What, what should we, oh, I know. Here's an interesting, quirky idea. Let's appoint elders for them. No, it's deeply connected. They went back to those places where their life was in danger to encourage them and to appoint elders because the reality of suffering and hardship means churches need to be well established. And here's another transition. Before this point, we might just hear of groups of disciples. Now we're being told about what's happening in each church. In each church, elders appointed so that there's basic structure, oversight, shepherding, accountability, safety, in other words, for these new believers that will encourage them to stay true and to keep looking outwards. I wonder, again, swimming against the tide in our society can mean rubbing up against what is considered to be safe. Safety is a buzzword. One of the biggest problems that might be identified by anyone that we might know is, I was in a particular situation and I didn't feel safe. And what does the world mean by that? And maybe not right across the board. Like there are obviously situations where, like for Paul and Barnabas, a lack of safety means physical injury and threat of death. But what's often meant 
by safety today is I don't feel safe if I'm not with people who totally affirm and do not challenge what I think. And if we take that on, not just as individuals, but as a church, we'll get into some really messy and dangerous places. I wonder if even the, the, the pandemic itself did this. It said to us, safety is found in isolation. Keep yourself safe. Safety is found in independence. So whatever you do, don't give up that. Getting involved in a group. But it's okay to get involved with a group of disciples because that's sufficiently vague that you can just drift in and out of, one of, of that. You can sign up to a kind of Christian charity here or a good cause there. But don't ever really thoroughly commit because then you're in danger of being in an unsafe space. And so, perhaps, we just learn to stay on the edge. The call to be part of God's church. Well, no, don't get too involved. Don't get too committed. It, it might cost you too much. And it is a desperate sadness that there are so many examples even in the past few weeks, let alone in recent years, of failures in Christian leadership, which have meant that people have been unsafe. And deep heartache is involved. But Paul and Barnabas risked their lives for something. Because the future needs a strong church. We're not just making slightly disconnected network of new believers drifting around. We've seen the church. And it's something worth contending for. It's something the Bible would have us focus on. Is something beautiful. And it's something to stand the test of time. The UK, in 20 years' time, will need there to be a really, really strong church. A people who are committed to God's word. A people passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Unashamed of being associated with him. A community of people that because they love Jesus and because they've been born again are actually deeply in love and committed to one another. And out of that love for one another, there'll be a people who even dare to lovingly correct each other. We spoke in our small group this week about what the word admonish means. Kind of to, well, here's a paraphrased definition right now. To be lovingly corrected and kept on track. To be a community that will dare to do that because we love each other. Rather than the kind thing to do being just to let people drift. What are elders of the church supposed to do? Do you know what our number one priority 
If someone is called to eldership, you know what their number one priority is before God? Is to keep watch over themselves. So that having done that, they can help other people. And do you know why we have to go through suffering and hardship and rubbish and heartache and pain? Not just elders. Do you know why we all have to do that? So that when you, you can pick up a pebble off your own personal beach and then say to someone else, and it's not all about you, but you can say to somebody else, I know that God's going to help you. I know that God is there for you. I know that God is going to comfort you and strengthen you. So be pure. Be holy. Keep sharing your faith. Paul and Barnabas, at this very point, they are living the message that they are sharing. Think of those, those options that they had. They could have just kept going, find some new places. They could have just legged it back home again and run for cover. What did they do? They turned around and went back to the danger zone. They were prepared to go through hardship. They had gone through hardship. And now, having tested the truth, as it were, having lived it out in their own experience, they're able to say to other people, you can do the same. And maybe whatever rubbish you might have gone through recently in life, if you process it well, with the help of God and a community of other disciples who love you, and this doesn't mean it was ever nice, but it almost becomes like a gem, a treasure you can pick up with which to comfort and encourage someone else. We are swimming against the tide. There will be all sorts of temptations to dilute the message, to get distracted, to wander off. I mean, think about the marathon again. It just seems bizarre. Of course there's a finish line. Of course you run to the finish line. Of course you keep going. It would seem bizarre to start the London Marathon and just kind of like get distracted and wander off. And yet, you're like running past loads of like the sights of London and all these people cheering you on who just like step back to the cafe for a moment and get their latte and listen to some music band en route. So you think there's plenty to be distracted by. Let's not get distracted. We're not here just for entertainment. We're not here just for trivialities. We're here to build the kingdom of God. We're here to seek our saviour. We're here to see other people get saved. We're here to persevere. And we're here one, because we want one day to hear our Lord and saviour from the throne of the whole universe say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You kept going. 